You're listening to The Leonard Lopate Show on AM820 and 93.9 WNYC. On Monday, we thought today's Please Explain segment was going to be about chairs. When that fell through on Tuesday, we decided it would be about stress, especially suitable for a live show during a fundraiser. When that didn't happen on Wednesday, a whole lot of other topics were put into play. Squash, cheese, water, and even Bill Nye. On Thursday, when none of those worked out, one of our producers, Jessica Miller, threw up her hands and said, why don't we just do a Please Explain the show? So that's what we're doing. You can call it either an act of desperation or of inspiration. We'll see about that. But why not let you get behind the scenes of what we do here and describe how the show came to be and how it's changed over the years. We'll get to some of the highs and lows of the past, play a few clips, and take your questions. Joining me now is my longtime partner in crime, Melissa Egan, the show's executive producer. Normally at this time, she would be running around making sure guests are actually here when they should be. And for our listeners, feel free to either call us at 212-433-9692. You can find us on Facebook. You can tweet us where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Or you can write into our show page at wnyc.org slash Lopate. Melissa, we really should start with you because you were here before I arrived. It is, Leonard, it is so weird to be in this position now, be looking at you across a microphone instead of through a double pane of glass. Um Yes, I was here before you, and there was a, a the host at the time, Marty Wayne, was this um, very laid back kind of guy. And very funny. Very funny. He would have um, he would interview. He loved. He had two passions: um, food, which he would normally dribble all over himself. <laughs> And um, trains. He loved trains. And he interviewed Kitty Carlisle Hart in a T-shirt with a star on it that I think had some jam that remained from a previous guest. Um, Well, he suddenly, to everyone's um, dismay, died. And we... um, He died of a heart attack. Of a heart attack, suddenly. And um, we put the show on tape, and then we went through, you know, trying various hosts. And I remember that you came by because a previous producer of the show had recommended you, and you dropped off some tapes, and and the then producer um, said, oh, great, you know, we'll put them aside, we'll listen to them, blah, blah, blah. And we proceeded with interviews, and there was a guy that was, you know, going to be the next host, and then he had a terrible, terrible, terrible day. Um, and we all thought, oh, my goodness, we can't he can't be the next host. And it's like, who was that guy who came by? And they lo- I don't know that I've ever they called said me this. and they said, we have lost your resume and we have lost your demo tape. But could you please come by with both uh, tomorrow? Right. So I <laughs> I knew what that meant, uh, what lost meant. Uh, but uh, I was happy to do it. Uh, and that was a Thursday. I started the next Monday, March 5th, 1985, on a per diem. And I did the show for months just on a daily basis being paid with the thought that maybe somebody else was going to be tried out as well. They never brought in another person. And uh, eventually it just became my show, although at that time it was called Senior Edition. 
May I, when I first heard the the show on the radio, I heard them announce Senior Edition long before I worked here, and I did not walk. I ran across the room to turn the radio off because I thought, oh, no, who cares about Senior Edition? Little did I know that I would, you know, eventually... <laughs> Be working on it. First, you worked on it as an intern, then as yeah. a producer, and uh, you became the third producer working with me. Uh, that was almost thirty years ago, and we've been Leonard, together. Are you telling secrets? <laughs> well, I said I started nineteen eighty-five, <laughs> and you were already here. Uh, the, and when we got together, we realized that we shared certain ideas about what we thought the show should be, and we started changing it. You know when I we knew, got ambitious. You know when I knew. You know when I knew that you were tremendous, Leonard. Was when you when I started was, putting on weight. No, when you interviewed the Blood Lady. Uh, Tell about the Blood Lady. Yeah, we had we at that time the uh, AIDS was just becoming a, a major topic. It was still very mysterious, and nobody wanted to. Uh, to have a blood transfusion because they were afraid they were going to get AIDS. And so we invited this, uh, the, the woman who ran the blood program at a local hospital to come on. The problem was she didn't know anything other than how to stick a needle into your arm and get some blood out. So I was just struggling. I would ask her these questions and she would uh, say, well, I don't really know. I don't really know and I still had to fill the time. So finally, I said, I've never understood the whole thing about the uh, the RH factor. Uh, her eyes lit up, and the next thing you knew is she just went into a five-minute explanation about uh, how, you know, a type A blood, type B blood, et cetera, the things that she did know. Uh, but before then, I was... <laughs> really sweating. And it's not the only time I've ever had a guest who was really difficult. Around that time, we also had the man who invented the female condom. Uh, and he didn't know the answers to anything either. And when I asked him about rumors that it was it squeaked, he he said, well, I, I don't know. I've never... He invented it, but he never used it. Or, I mean, he'd never seen it in use. So th those were hilarious moments. Yes. At the same time, I thought, oh, I'm not sure I really want this job. <laughs> when did you when did you decide that you liked it, Leonard? Well, partly because of our collaboration, we started getting better guests, and it became more engaging. At the beginning, it was just an awful lot of service segments. We had two doctors a week, uh, and they were an hour each Tuesday and each Thursday. Uh, a a an important moment for me was when I was able to finally change that after we had a urologist on the show. And oh. a man called in. People used to call in and want medical advice. And this man called in and he said, doctor, I'm urinating pus. And I thought, I'm not sure I really... <laughs> this job is for me. So... I uh, I talked to the, the program director and he said, "Okay, we don't have to do them all the time." Yeah, and then and then there was Pegeen. Pegeen, but well, she was fun. She was really Pegine a lot of fun. Fitzgerald. She was a legend. She was a, a radio legend, and she had been brought here when WOR fired her, and it was a front page story in the New York. Do you know Daily what happened? News. But you know how that happened. You were here. I wasn't. What happened was there was a play about her, 
um, about her and Lord Edward on Broadway, and um, the actors were on, and um, I think Marty at the time, you know, was saying, oh, she'd just been fired, and he was saying what a terrible thing that it was that she had been fired, and then I was in the office after the show, and the phone rang, and there was this voice, and it was a very distinctive voice, and she said, hello? I'm I'm not going to do her voice very well. Well, we're going to play a clip so people yes. get a sense. Yes, and of her and voice. and she said, um, you know, I under she she heard the interview, and I connected her with the program director, and we wound up having her on the show by ISDN from hookup from her home, and so there she was doing the interview with you and Kate Borger. Um, in the studios for the first hour and a half of the show, right? We talked with Begin, and she, she would talk about whatever came into her mind, and it was a lot of fun. It was totally improvised. I had no idea where it was going to go every day. Yeah. Should we listen to a little bit of Begin? Do you two ever have a a horrible reaction to the antics of someone at a dinner table? Something that affects you? I do something. That affects two or three of my friends so that they practically fall off their chairs, particularly Kathy Novak. I have, since early girlhood, every time I have sat down to a meal where a quarter of a lemon or lemon slices are served as a garnish, I immediately pick up the quartered lemon or the lemon slices and eat them with relish. Well... That sends Kathy into almost hysterics to see anybody eat anything so sour as a lemon. Especially with relish on it. Yeah. That sounds like really two strange tastes for mind. But uh, Pagin, I'm just like you. I do that as well. You do? I don't grab everybody else's lemon. What I'll do is I'll wait until the the meal is is halfway gone, and uh, I look over at that lemon, and I'll ask, does anybody want that? I do the same thing, Lenny, and I also carry it beyond that. For cocktails, if it's some cocktail that either a lemon, uh, preferably a lemon, or even an orange slice mm-hmm. is I'll in. eat everybody's. If it's, I'll eat everyone's. Yes. <laughs> and you eat the peel lemon. as well, I'll oh, bet, just as course. I do. Oh, yes. Compelling radio. <laughs> well, the audience loved it, uh, so I guess it was okay. <laughs> yeah, normally she would get something wrong. And then we would, or she would have a question, and then we would be flooded with calls about, no, it's really this, or it's really that. But she then, it was fun doing those shows with her, and then she got ill, and unfortunately she passed away. Uh, And then the show got shortened from four hours to two hours. Four and a half, I think, even, yeah. Uh, So... Uh, at that time, I probably thought that that was two hours was way too little. Uh, now, if you asked me to do two hours and 20 minutes, I would think that would be too much. The show has changed an awful lot. Uh, we we have some calls coming in. Diana from the Upper East Side has called us at 212-433-9692. Diana, hi, you're on the air. Hi, my name is Diana Montford. You once mentioned my name on the air, and I got so many responses from that. Thank you. I do a talk show on cable television, the Diana Montford Show, and I call my guests to get them on the show. I was wondering, how do you get your guests? Do you contact them? Do they contact you? How do you do that? Well, I think it's changed over the years. Melissa knows better than anybody. In the past, we did a lot more of the calling out, and now they do a lot more of the asking us. I am each 
each show is a miracle in my eyes. The the way it comes together, witness this last resort of my being on the air today. Um, it's a variety of factors. Uh, we reach out to people. People contact us. Uh, a lot of um, the things are in my saying no to people or putting people off because I, I could book up for quite the next few weeks uh, entirely, but it's a matter of figuring out what goes where and to allow time for wiggle room. And also to... to keep that full range of topics that we exactly. like to do. We do, we like to do serious and then we like to do uh, some things less serious. We want to touch on the sciences, the arts, all sorts of things uh, rather than just simply talk about politics, but we talk a lot about politics on this show as well. It's it's important to have the full range of things and you have, you're a master of mixing them up and sometimes you come to my office and say, you'll ask me, what do you think about putting this on at at 12 and then this on at 12.30? Do you think that one follows the other well? We we actually think about those things. Oh, and abs- absolutely, Leonard. And also, a lot depends upon your passion for things. I don't want to, you know, you will trust me, but also I want you to be excited about something. And I remember coming into you and saying, so... You have, we have these three options for something. And the thing that you went gaga over or were really excited about was the Karamazovs. And I said, can it go 40 minutes? And you said, of course. The flying Karamazovs. No, oh. no, the the Romanovs. Oh. The Romanovs. And it was like the most one of the most amazing segments, and I trusted you. A listener, Jerry from the Upper East Side, asks, what's the percentage of pre-taped versus live segments, excluding fundraising broadcasts? The answer is mostly live. Yes, I would say I would say it's about 90% live. I'd say more, 95. No, I would say 95. Mm-hmm. Um, the only times we tape things are when people are in town and we would lose them otherwise because with a lot of uh, movies, people will come earlier. And we do those tapings just as though they were live. Exactly. No editing. And can I say one more thing? I think that... We have to go to a break, but I want you to say this Well, one no, more this thing. is more involved. So we'll leave it as a tease. Okay. We'll come back with more after we take a little break. Uh, you're listening to Please Explain on the Leonard Lopez Show on the last day of our fundraiser. And we're back with today's Please Explain with our surprise guest, Melissa Egan, the executive producer of The Leonard Lopate Show. Uh, she has been at WNYC now for longer than I've been here. Don't we, rub it I'm in. I'm not going to mention how many years, but uh, uh, really is responsible as much as anyone for the uh, the quality of this show. Uh, 
I, I speak to publicists all the time, and they tell me how much they love her and how much they enjoy working with her. Uh, and now they often call you and say, I have this great movie or book or some other project or a big news story, and then you have to decide if you can fit it in? Everything is a juggling act, and I'm, I, I have around me spread out piles well there are piles of books and with dates and it's a, a matter of remembering who is available when and then how to put things together a lot of people wonder who our favorite guests are it's really impossible for me to say i i'm more likely to remember the people who were difficult but when we first started it was a bit of a struggle to get the kinds of people we wanted uh now how many watts were we leonard we were 1000 watts with a transmitter in greenpoint and friends and it on, couldn't be heard at night yeah it was right? it was a sunrise sunset station at a different frequency than uh, our am station is now uh it was at 8:30 now we're at ama 20 and uh, we were all the way downtown it was really hard to get to our offices. Yes. We were in the municipal building. And, and studios. The municipal building, which was then falling apart. And uh, it was often, and then after 9 11, uh, security became really difficult. And we sometimes we had problems getting guests into the studio simply because. There were metal detectors. Well, not only the metal detectors, everybody had to have ID. And when Kareem Abdul Jabbar came to be on our show. Now, this is a man who is very recognizable and seven foot two. Uh, they wouldn't let him in because he didn't have photo ID. And then one of the guards said, that's Lou, that's Al Lucinder. They, his name had been Lou Alcinder. They said, that's Al Lucinder, which amused him no end. But eventually somebody had uh, a little, the sense to let him in. There was Martina Navratilova who came. She was one of those people who... She had... A little dog. She had a, a little dog, and they there. She put it in her she, bag. They, she had her the dog in the bag, and they. I don't know whether they actually put it through, but they were about to put the dog through the metal detector on the on the rolling thing, and she. I think she grabbed it out and and you know was able to come in, and then, you know, we it was always a juggling act trying to get people in, and there were people like Yoko Ono, for instance, who. Lives. I mean, everybody, sh most people know Yoko Ono, and she doesn't travel with a photo ID. So I had to go through hoops to try to get her into the building. And they they did, I don't know how, but I got her into the building and was taking her up in the elevator. And there, there were strange people in the municipal building. Well, there were um, a lot of other offices. In there that were a building. lot of other offices, and it's where people get, went to get their marriage yes, license. Yes, and to get married. You would leave. I would leave, and you would see all of this rice that people had been throwing, and there were people with with um, with cameras that they would take pictures of of people who just gotten married. But here I am in an elevator with Yoko Ono, and there's this this woman, and she kind of looks at her, and we're it was we were up on the twenty fifth floor, and she says. Um, I, 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 you look familiar, you look awfully familiar. Um, aren't you, aren't you connected with like the Beatles or something? And I could sense Yoko getting incredibly <laughs> tense. She was already, she was like ready to bolt. And I said, she gets that all the time. <laughs> and mercifully, the woman got off 
you know, on her floor, and she was very Yoko was very grateful. People often ask me who the worst guests were. Um, there are a few who come to mind almost immediately, but the most dangerous one was a man named Joseph Cantalupo, who had uh, been uh, the secret FBI informer on Joe Colombo. Joe Colombo's office was uh, in uh, Cantalupo's father's real estate office, and um, he came on on Columbus Day because just ironically, Joe Colombo, Columbus Day, uh, because it was, <laughs> it was a holiday day. and he was in the witness protection program. So he did not want to be there when there would be a lot of people around. He sh- I didn't want to do it that day because I had bronchitis. and uh, But I was told I had to because uh, the, the, making a special exception, he came in with two bodyguards who uh, had bulges under the, their jackets. I knew what those bulges were. One came into the studio with us as we taped and the other one stayed outside and um, I, I had bronchitis I was talking like this and uh, Joseph Cantalupo talked like that normally but uh, for <laughs> me it was your language. so uh, at a certain point I, I started coughing and I said I gotta get up and have some hot water I stood up and he threw himself on the ground because he took that as a signal for somebody to come in and shoot him and the bodyguard reached inside his jacket for <laughs> Who I knew? assume a How gun. How did he get in and the I, building? And I said, well, the, this is before. I know. And I raised my head and said, I'm just going to get some hot water. And I came very close to being <laughs> killed simply because I needed some hot water. And I, later I wondered when uh, when he's in Phoenix or wherever he's in the, the witness protection program and he's at a restaurant and the guy at the next table suddenly stands up abruptly, does Joseph Cantalupa just throw himself on the ground yes. every time? yes. Yes, food goes flying, Leonard. We have a, a clip of Henry Kissinger. Now, Henry Kissinger was one of the more memorable guests, and he was with us twice. Should we listen to this from the first time he visited us? This is us? the first time. Well, uh, I think that, that uh, you you have a very peculiar perspective on foreign policy, if I may say so. Probably. Well, that was it. But uh, we had a very interesting conversation in which uh, I kept on questioning his facts because I had been given a lot of documentary evidence by people who had been following Kissinger for years. And I assumed after that interview, which he, in which he was made rather uncomfortable, that we would never see him again. But years later... He was booked on our show again, and when he came in and sat down in the seat that Melissa's sitting in right now, he said to me, I'm here because my physical therapist is your biggest fan. And I realized he hadn't remembered the other thing. What he remembered was that his physical therapist said, you got to be on Leonard Lopez's show. Do you know what I remember from the first interview, Leonard, especially? Henry Kissinger came out of the interview, and he was being followed by a first-time Irish novelist. And the first-time Irish novelist and her publicist and one of our producers were standing in the hallway, terrified. And Henry Kissinger came out, and he assumed that these were dignitaries from the station. And so he went to each of them, and he said, Hello, (laughs) I'm Henry Kissinger. And they very (laughs) gingerly shook his hand. We had Salman Rushdie right after he uh, came out of hiding, and 
the building we were in, the municipal building, was uh, at the corner of Chamber Street and Center Street, and the cops wouldn't allow cars to stop there. So the limo that was bringing Rushdie to us was forced to go into the Brooklyn Bridge. And there had been a shooting on the Brooklyn Bridge, and Rushdie said, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of the car. I got to do this radio show. He got out of the, the was limo. Was the fatwa on, on him at this point? Yes, still was on him. He got out of the, the the limo, came running down the Brooklyn Bridge walkway, and sh- <laughs> showed up to do our show. But not breathless. only that, um, he was going in in the opposite direction. In a cab was Bette Midler, and she said she got out and she said Salmon, and he said I can't, I have to I I sh- have to be on the air, and so he went running by. Now, meanwhile, years later, and this is a reason why I don't like, there's, I was so horrified by the story that I rarely tell, um, that I'm about to tell, that I don't like booking so far in advance, because in the early days, we, we, the, I would put guests who were being, who have had been booked far in advance on a post-it and I'd put it up on the wall and I'd booked Salman Rushdie over a month out and I, the post-it fell down. And so one day after the show, I got a call and it was of a frantic publicist saying, um, Salman will be late. And I'd completely forgotten that he was supposed to come on the show that day. And I had to tell the publicist, you know, that something had come up and we couldn't do him and he had to turn around. And so I had to say no to Salman Rushdie. But we got him back. Should we take some calls? Oh, by the way, we should point out that when we first started, we were uh, in very... uh, the, the circumstances were rather rough. We had to go to a different floor to, to, to the city to uh, offices to get Xeroxes. We would have to take at least two elevators to Xerox. We had, um, and often we our our typewriter the the this office supplies were on a completely different floor, and you would be working on a prep, and and either the whiteout would be dry, or the 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 typewriter ribbon would you know, run out. And it's like, what the heck were you going to do? Some of the whiteout, there was so much whiteout on some of those pages that it looked like I had dandruff when I stood up. That's right. My trousers were just filled with little white flakes. Let's take a few calls. Uh, David from the Upper West Side. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, long-time listener. Thanks for taking my call, the usual introduction. So I noticed that um, in general, uh, most of your shows are a 40-minute segment and then a 20-minute segment, and I find that I'm mostly interested in the 20-minute segments, which tend to be mostly actors, musicians, uh, that sort of thing, and I'm wondering how this type of interview gets the short end of the hour. Well, first of all, I I want to answer two things, and then I'll let Melissa. Uh, We have a fair number of actors and directors and such, given 40 minutes, including one just very recently who uh, uh, 
one of my favorite guests, but we have Francis Ford Coppola comes on the show. We give him 40 minutes. Uh, we also, when we give 40 minutes to uh, actors and directors and musicians, uh, some of whom have performed live on our show. We've had Randy Newman perform live on our show. We've had Ama Jamal, McCoy Tyner, incredible group of musicians perform live. We give them 40 minutes. There's always a listener who calls in and says, why are you giving so much time to these people? You should be talking about politics. That's what's really important. And then when uh, we talk about politics, there's always someone who writes in to say, I want to know more about food. And then when we do things on food, there's always someone who writes in and says, why all of this talk about food? So, you know, we, we try to please everybody, even you, David. Leonard, you said it all. Okay. A lot of people want to know how you pick guests and music for the show. Uh, we've kind of answered the guests. It's whoever we think is interesting and will make for an interesting segment. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and Okay. So, But, Sophia, you want to know about music? Sophia from Queens? I do. I wanted to know, uh, I mean, I, I listen quite a bit, and I hear uh, you've got a pretty keen ear when it comes to some of the recommendations you make, these CDs you're offering as a bonus for uh, for for pledging. But, um, yeah, what what makes you pick one song over another as, like, the intro music? Like, I know you've had it for a long time, so what's the background story on all that? On the music we play going into the show and out of the show and, and during and the, the breaks. show? yeah. We've had uh, different themes over the years. In fact, uh, we had uh, They Might Be Giants once uh, 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 composed and and performed music for our theme. But we felt at a certain point that uh, the tone of the show uh, required jazz. And so we found some great classic jazz recordings that weren't familiar necessarily. It was important to not have things that from the Kind of Blue album or something where everybody knows them. Uh, And uh, they have really worked well for us. They are just wonderful. uh, Things by Donald Byrd and uh, and others uh, that uh, I think are just perfect for our show. And then sometimes when we have a specific topic and there is a, a song that applies, well, you, Melissa, or I, or one of our s- staff members will suggest something and we will find it and put it on, right? Absolutely. We did one on dreams recently. Uh, please explain. We found Randy Newman's Last Night I Had a Dream. I don't know if you've know that song but it's really hilarious no not really okay does that answer your question yeah it does it's great um well actually one more part of it what uh, what sort of hoops do you have to go through in order to get those uh get permissions to have those songs play we don't have to go through anywhere public broadcasting uh, commercial broadcasting has certain rules but public broadcasting i think we can pretty much play anything we want is yes. that true yes okay uh Carla from Queens. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, Lenny. Um, they had that question they asked in the, in the drive, what's the show you can't live without? Now, you're the sh- your show is the one I can't live without. And what I also do is when you have the announcement at the end of the of what you're going to have on the next day, I do write it down in very short way, just one or two words so I know what it's in reference to. And I will actually set an alarm 
so that I don't miss doing that because I could, you know, I could have stepped away or whatever. So I just wanted you to know that. And I'm, uh, I don't listen to every single segment, but I do like to get down what you're having on and then I make a decision what I'm going to listen to. And as far as the music goes that you're you know, your whatever music you call that. Uh, I think it's great. You're doing great. The music is uh, okay with me. A lot of shows, I don't want to hear a lot of music, and uh, I like your, your music. is really Carla, good. you've made my day. Thank yeah, you so much. you're my favorite, for sure. Now, we, we got a lot of uh, questions from listeners before we even went on the air. Do you want to address some of them? Melissa? I'll try. Okay. Andre writes us on Facebook all the way from Lisbon. Uh, what is a typical day like behind the scenes at the show? Well, there are each day on one hand is very, very different. And you can come in and think, oh, it's going to be this sort of a day. And then you'll find out it's not that day at all. And you have to be waiting, you know, waiting for a, a press conference by Mayor de Blasio. Maybe Obama is going to be speaking. Um, people will cancel. People are going to be late. Um, the and staff members sometimes get sick, or uh, we just had a case where one of our staff members' girlfriend had the mumps, and he was afraid to come in because he didn't want to infect us. Exactly. There are certain immutable facts. Um, the show starts at noon, and there are certain things that invariably happen. Leonard is always nearly late. And Leonard will come running down. Well, you don't mean late to the, the no, office. No, you're you, when the I'm when the, the light goes out, in. you're the first one in. But no, no, no. I'm talking about at around noon. Leonard will be running down the hallways with his pile of books and preps, and um, you know, there's and Jessica Miller will be following behind him, and um, he also if they're. Leonard, I I hope it's all right that I say this. Leonard loves food, and if there's also any food <laughs> in the environs, Leonard will probably smell it out and find it. And if you listen very carefully, you might hear him uh, chewing. Um, chewing. <laughs> Elaine Shalino, who uh, was the Paris Bureau Chief of the New York Times and has been a friend of the show for years, has written in to us. She said, how do you prepare for each show? Exactly what do you do? Uh, we choose something that we want to talk about, or four things at least for each day, and then assign them to different staff members to work on. They prepare them. Uh, the person then comes in and talks about it with me, or I write my own uh, segment, but we go over it. I learn more about the, the segment. I can't obviously read everything or see everything. And uh, the the we only have great people working for us so it works out quite well right and and that actually i find is one of the most wonderful experiences because it's like a collaboration with you yeah and this then, is all about collaboration this yes show. and then during the show um there is can be a back and forth with you where the producer will um communicate other thoughts or or what not to keep me apprised in case I don't know something or um, and I don't know a lot of things but Leonard I'm always surprised by how much you do know and and the way you can work with a live show which I really appreciate because you have to deal with people when they're in a bad mood when they uh, forget things and people are hearing something very real 
And we hope you enjoy it. We have run out of time for this. Please explain. Uh, this is something we could probably pick up on again because there were all sorts of unanswered questions. Uh, but today's Please Explain was about the Leonard Lopate show. And my great thanks to Melissa Egan, my executive producer, for being my guest today. It's always a pleasure talking with you throughout the day. And this is our first time on the air. Leonard, thank you for having me. <laughs>